Welcome to the Platform Podcast, where we talk to coaches, athletes, experts, and real people to learn about their approaches to training, nutrition, mindset, and much more. I am your host, Jordan Kundi wright founder and head coach of the Twin Cities Kettlebell Club, and I'm on a mission to help others build sustainable, healthy lifestyles. Before we jump into this week's episode, I want to take a second to make an important announcement about the Twin Cities Kettlebell Open. The event will still be taking place in person in Little Canada, Minnesota on October 23rd. But with the Delta variant causing restrictions and travel issues for many people, we've decided to also include video submissions for participants who are unable or unwilling to make the trip in person. So now you'll be able to compete no matter where you live. You'll be able to submit your videos until midnight central time on October 22nd. And you'll be eligible for all of the same prizes as our in-person competitors. Just go to our website, TwinCitiesKettlebellClub.com for details. I also want to say that I am incredibly grateful that you listen to this podcast. And the best way that you could support me is to register for the Twin Cities Kettlebell Open and maybe tell a friend or two. And if you haven't already, please be sure to leave a rating and review of the platform podcast in your app of choice and support my work by supporting our sponsors whose affiliate links you'll find in the episode notes. And of course, if you want to step on the platform and compete in kettlebell sport, or you need help in reaching your best with your nutrition, please reach out to me. I help athletes of all levels reach their goals without wasting time using my integrated online coaching approach. You can follow me on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube at Twin Cities Kettlebell Club or email me at TwinCitiesKettlebellClub at gmail.com. Now, without further ado, let's take some time and reflect on the 2021 Riddlestruck Open. All right, welcome into this week's episode of the Platform Podcast. This is a reflections episode. I like to do these um, after every competition um, because I always find that it is important to think about how the competition went and reflect on it and take lessons from every comp. Um, If you had a really, really good competition, Um, you can think about what went well, what worked, why did it go well, um, and take lessons from that and build upon that success and, you know, create a repeatable process that works, uh, for you and, and makes you successful. Um, if you had a less successful competition, um, then you want to reflect on that and take those lessons and think about why did it not go well? What are the things that you can change? What can you do differently next time um, so that you are successful or more successful the next time you step on the platform? I think it's incredibly important uh, to to do that and really think about uh, those those what your key takeaways are from from any from any competition. Um, And for me, this this is especially important as a coach because I I need to not only think about um, my own performance on the platform. Um, but the, the different lifters on the platform and what they did well and what lessons I can take from, uh, people's performances and, um, 
are those are there lessons that are specific to that lifter and changes that we need to make specific to that lifter um or are there lessons that can be generalizable uh to to the whole team so um i'm going to go through some of those some of those thoughts um and i haven't written these down this is honestly like just free flowing open reflection as i as i go through the process um but first i want to start by saying uh, a big shout out and thank you um, to everyone from Team Riddlestruck. So Stephen Riddle, um, Amanda, Sarah, Matt, um, you guys put together and executed an excellent competition. Um, I know it's incredibly challenging right now with um, COVID and all of the stuff going on with COVID um, to, to organize a comp and put together a comp and then um, pull it off and do it well virtually, um, you know, as well as with some in-person. I know you guys had some some people that were kind of in-person, but that's just because you're all, uh, you know, local to each other. But, you know, with uh, with it being almost entirely online, um, either via live Zoom or via video submission, uh, which is what I did, um, you know, it, it went really, really smoothly. You guys actually gave me a really nice blueprint for how I can do video submissions, how I can manage video submissions for the Twin Cities Kettlebell uh, Open here in uh, eight weeks. So, and if you missed that announcement last uh, from last week, um, we are accepting video submissions. The plan is still to have this competition in person, um, but I will also be accepting video submissions up until midnight on that Saturday, the day of the competition. Um, so, you will you will have uh, you will have that day up until midnight of that day to to submit your to submit your videos for for judging. You'll be eligible for all of the prizes um, you know that that uh, we're awarding uh, to the lifters. So uh, you'll be all and you'll be eligible for rank. So if you are somewhere where you can't travel um, or you live in a different country and don't plan on uh, flying across the the ocean to come compete, um, that is okay. You can do it via video submission and uh, still participate and put your best out there. So I, I hope that that m makes it more accessible for more people and that we have uh, a large contingent of people. Um, I know we're, we're getting registrations in for the in-person comp, and I hope that uh, we'll get a bunch of people that uh, can do it online as well. So um, thank you for, for Steve and the team. Uh, showing a good way to execute um online online competition so um it was it was very low stress it was well managed well communicated um which i greatly greatly appreciate um that makes it a lot easier for everybody um to come out and show their best when um, there's no confusion or stress around the organization or execution of the actual event so thank you again um uh so I want to give shout outs to some lifters as well um, from my team in particular, <laughs> you know, not that I don't care about how uh, other people did, but um, I'm going to, I want to give a shout out first to, to my, to my guy, the Tims, the, the Tims both did well. Um, Tim Harding uh, in his first ever competition knocked out 99 reps on long cycle with the 16s and he was so close to hitting 100 and you could i it, i could see it on the video it seemed like he 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 was disappointed to run out of time because i think he knew he needed one more rep to hit 100 um and when uh and when his 
when his time was up, you could see that he just, he wished he had like five more seconds to finish that one, one more rep, but um, it was a great, great performance from him. Um, awesome cardio, really, really awesome cardio. It is hard to hold uh, 10 RPMs plus um, for, for long cycles. So to hold 10 RPMs for 10, 10 minutes um, is, is fantastic. So he did just a great job and I want to, you know, we, we, we debriefed a little bit and one adjustment we have to make for him is, um, you know, to, to make sure that we're, we're not expecting to make up too many, uh, reps going into the final minute, um, of, of any set, because he, he said that he's, he's more of a long distance runner than a sprinter. So, um, he can't, he can't crank out, you know, the 14 RPM, 16 RPM final minute, um, on long cycle. It's just hard for him to go that fast. So we'll make that adjustment, maybe come out with, uh, just, a a high pace sustained over time and, and not try and go to 12, 13, 14 RPMs, um, on anything. So I, I got your note and we will make that, we'll make that adjustment. Um, Tim Boyer, big Tim, um, didn't compete in the riddle struck, but we're doing 10 minute test out sets, um, for everybody on the team, whether or not they competed, um, so that I have a baseline of fitness for everyone who is competing and for designing of the next phase, I will have, um, I will have objective measures of their, of their output, um, so that I can build their next phase. And so Tim Boyer, big Tim completed a 10 minute set in all three lifts. So he got uh, 77 reps on long cycle, uh, 109 on the jerk. And I want to say 137 on snatch. Um, if I remember right, all with the 16s, um, he spread those out a little bit. Um, cause you can take time, you know, when you're not in a competition, you can take time uh, between, between the sets as much time as you want. So he, he did one lift per day, um, and did, uh, and did really, really well, um, for somebody who just a couple of weeks ago did not think that he could finish a 10 minute set, yet alone a 10 minute set in all three lifts. Um, I think that is a huge accomplishment and, uh, something that he should be very proud of. I'm very proud of him. I think he's very proud of himself, um, because that was, that's fantastic work. That's a lot of work. Um, and it's really a testament to the focus and consistency that Tim has, Tim has put in. Um, Emran Bujuala, my guy here uh, in the Twin Cities, banged out 72 reps on long cycle, and he finished the 10 minutes for the first time. He finished the full time, um, took, and then took a break. And, uh, and then he did a jerk, uh, did a jerk set, wasn't able to finish the 10 minutes on the jerk set. And we've got some lessons learned. I just debriefed with him today. Um, and jerk is hard, man. It is, it is a unique challenge. Um, and even Tim kind of had the, the same, Tim Boyer had the same, the same struggles, um, as Emron, which is if you can't find relaxation in your rack position, it is damn near impossible to hold pace. Um, you have to be able to unload your muscles in the rack position. So you, you have to be able to let your chest relax, let your legs relax, let your shoulders relax. Right. And if you can't rest there, the only other place you can rest is overhead. And if you're stacked really well, you can maybe get some leg relaxation 
maybe you can get your chest to relax a little bit, but your shoulders are still stabilizing the bells. Your triceps are still stabilizing the bells, right? So you really have to work on achieving that rack position. <coughs> so the lesson from that is, is kind of two or three fold. There's kind of two, two or three things there, right? First, you have to build the time under tension, just time in those positions. You have to, you have to build up the, the capability to just be able to hold the weights, right? That's, that's just foundational strength. You've got you to do that, but you also have to work on mobility a lot because as I was discussing with Emron this morning, um, you know, protracting your shoulders forward can, and then connecting your elbows to your body and, and standing with straight legs while bearing load is not something we ever do, uh, in life, <laughs> right? This is a very sport specific movement pattern that you have to develop, right? It's not like squatting, which is just a fundamental human movement that babies learn to do at a very young age, right? It can squat with good form because they have the mobility. And as soon as they build the strength to, to be able to do it, like babies squat ass to grass, right? So that's just a natural movement. You don't ever see somebody just put their elbows onto their pelvis and rest them there while holding something. It's not a natural movement pattern to do. So because of that, we have to learn and program the body to be able to achieve that position, right? So um, mobility work is especially key, right? That is, that is especially key because you have to be able to, to achieve some type of rest position. Um, and then the, the, the third piece of it is, is the connection to the body. So those two are kind of really related. You know, one thing that, uh, that Emron was struggling with up until just a, like a week or two ago was he, he was not actually getting his elbows connected to his legs, um, you know, uh, or, or to his body to, to then get the drive from his legs. I mean, so he was not actually getting his elbows connected to his body, which then connects the force from your legs into your arms. Right. So that was a key for him for actually being able to finish the 10 minutes on long cycle. Um, but because he wasn't able to finish the 10 minutes on jerk, it's likely because he can't yet find relaxation in the rack position. And unlike in long cycle where you can spread out the misery a little bit with the backswing, um, you know, you get some relief on your grip in the backswing and you can, a different position. Then you can rest in the rack position on the way up. You can rest, uh, you can find some relaxation overhead and then you can rest in the rack position again on the way down if you need to. Um, unlike that in jerk, it is all about localized suffering and your ability to actually uh, find relaxation without being able to change positions very much. You have, you have only two positions locked out overhead or in rack position. So you, you don't get, you don't get a lot of movement diversity there. So you can't spread the misery out. So you really have to work on that connection so that you can drive the energy from the legs into the bells. And then you have to be able to connect in order to relax in the rack position. If you're not, if you're not connected well, um, you're going to be, you're going to be holding the weights up with your chest, with your shoulders, uh, with your arms, right? So if you don't get that connection, you'll never just, you'll never be able to let your muscles disengage and just bear the weight of the bells on your skeleton, right? So it's very important that you work on mobility in order to achieve that. Uh, and then, and then snatch, uh, Emron, Emron was able to complete the 10 minutes in snatch as well. So he did really well with that. So really, really proud of him there. 
doing a lot of good work. Joe, 71 reps in, in the long cycle. Joe Honigs, my guy from Louisiana. Gator Tigers, 71 reps in the long cycle. Finish the 10 minutes, right? Um, finish the 10 minutes in snatch. Jerk, same thing. <laughs> struggle, struggle bus, right? Um, so he was not able to finish the 10 minutes there. Still, still relatively new to the to the lift in general, right? So same same challenges as as Emron is having, and and that Tim is having as well. Just mobility in order to achieve rela- relaxation in the jerk is is definitely is definitely something that uh, needs to be developed and it takes time to do that so that is a big takeaway for for me with the team is more mobility work um and putting together an actual protocol that they can follow um that that is specific to the sport so i'll be be working on developing that i i do have I do actually have a protocol developed. I just need to film it, put it uh, on paper and, uh, and get the resources out there for, for people to use. So I am going to be creating a um, specific protocol for, for mobility um, for kettlebell sport. So that is, that is going to be fun. Um, Audrey, 60 reps in the long cycle did the weight cut with, uh, with me and Bobby Hicks. Um, we're going to have a special, uh, a special episode with the two of them coming on to discuss the the water cut protocol that we did um, for that for that uh, competition. So Audrey Audrey got sixty reps in long cycle um, with double sixteens, just a few reps shy of her personal best. And this is with only a few weeks of sixteen kg work under under her belt. Um, so she's been working on she's been working on. Uh, moving up in weight. We just moved her up a little, a little bit ago. So I did not expect her to hit her personal, personal best in the, in the 16 kg long cycle, but she came really close, um, and really put up one hell of a fight. It was a great, great set. Um, and, and she finished, she finished on the ground, uh, speaking gibberish, but it was a great set. Um, she worked, she worked really hard. Um, but after debriefing with her, she, she had, uh, she had the struggle of time management a little bit. Um, she, she thought she had plenty of time to warm up and she needs, she needs a decent amount of time to warm up. Um, she thought she had it and got started warming up, but was getting her technology set up and making sure that she was ready. And before she knew it, um, it was time for her to lift and she was doing the live stream. So she had a set time, uh, that she had to lift. So, um, she did not get, as much of a warm up in as she wanted. Um, so another lesson um, from this was make sure that you allow more time than what you than what you think you need, um, because you never want to run out of time to get warmed up. Not having a proper warm up will definitely hinder your performance. That is unequivocal. Uh, the research backs it up over and over and over again that peak performance you need a functional warm up you need to be your your systems need to be ready to go so make sure you give yourself extra time uh to warm up so i mean i honestly say you know get get started especially on comp day right get started 30 minutes earlier than you think you need to right just give yourself plenty of time you can always relax if you get warm and you still have time before you're set, right? It's easier to stay warm than it is to get warm. So get yourself warm, get yourself loose. And then if you have extra time, then you just stay warm, 
And that gives you time to, to focus your mind and get your mind right before, you know, but make sure that you make sure that you give yourself plenty of time. Right. And then our, our buddy, Bobby Hicks, frequent guest of the podcast, uh, also did the water cut with me and he had a very interesting set, 48 reps in the long cycle, finished the 10 minutes with the 24s for the first time, which was really his goal going into this. Um, he did awesome fighting and dealing with some difficult circumstances, um, training in Florida. It gets hot and humid in Florida. And it was the hot, the hottest, most humid day, humid day uh, he had experienced in Florida to this point um, when he, when he did this. So uh, that makes it very, very challenging, especially with long cycle where you're managing two bells on every rep. And if your grip starts to go or the bells get slick, it gets very, very challenging very quickly. So really, really good job by him fighting through. Um, I know, you know, the four, he didn't get, he didn't get all 48 of the reps to count, uh, because he had, uh, he had some issues when, when he was lost, when he had lost his grip with, uh, he had to shoulder rack some of them, um, to, to get them, to keep them from going all over the place. And, uh, I think he got stop setted by his judge, um, on the official count, but he finished the 10 minutes, um, on his video, you know, and I was there counting reps for him. Um, and that was his goal. And he slowed pace way down. He actually changed his technique. Like I was talking about on long cycle where you can spread out the misery. He was, he was intentionally slowing his technique down to make sure he finished the time. So he was taking a rest in the rack position on the way up. He would jerk the bells, uh, take a breath there and then bring the bells back down. And rather than going immediately into his next cycle of cleans, um, he racked and would take a couple of breaths and then drop into his next cycle of cleans. So he was intentionally slowing his pace and taking more rest to really, to really make sure that he had the best opportunity to keep his heart rate down and to make sure that he could finish the time. Um, now he's also realized that he has some, he has some technique uh, changes he needs to make on his, on his cleans for a long cycle, which, which he's working on, but uh, it was a great set, great set by him. Um, really good fight. Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Platform Podcast. We interrupt this interview to share some exciting updates about the Twin Cities Kettlebell Open happening October 23rd here at the Athlete Lab in Little Canada, Minnesota, in the heart of the Twin Cities, and now also available to compete in online via video submission. 27 Degrees Apparel has finished designing our event t-shirts and has given us a discount code TCKB10 for 10% off all of his apparel. And those shirts will be customizable by pre-order up until a couple of weeks before the competition. So you can check out the website for details on that. We also have two belts from Dennis Vasiliev at Bellevator as well as six pairs of Ursus barefoot athletic training shoes, which are my personal favorite for snatch as well as deadlift and GPP. And our friend Nikolai Pushlov from the Seattle Kettlebell Club is providing his new Made in the USA Pro Kettlebells for competitors to try out and use on the platform if they choose, as well as support from Gaspari Nutrition and others. And if you have any other ideas or connections to interested sponsors, please reach out to me. And don't forget to register for the event on our website, TwinCitiesKettlebellClub.com. Now, let's get back to the interview.
I will say from debriefing with him, another, <laughs> another uh, lesson learned, um, don't make changes the day of competition. Don't make changes on, on the day of competition. He changed the chalk that he was using, the brand of chalk that he was using um, per a recommendation from another lifter um, that there was a better, you know, better brand of chalk for him to use than what he was currently using. Um, I'll leave the, the brand names out of it because it's, it's irrelevant. Um, if you're used to working with one certain type of chalk and it's what you normally get, don't then change it the day of a competition, right? It's just not a good idea to make changes, right? Because you, you you're introducing a new variable on the day when it matters the most to be as consistent as possible with your training, um, you know, with mirroring what you've done in training, right? So don't change your, don't change your warm-up routine um, significantly, right? Other than giving, you know, giving yourself more time but don't change what you actually do. Don't change, don't try a new food on the day of competition. Don't try a new supplement. Um, like really try and stick with your routine, right? Don't change, don't change your equipment. If you have any control over that, right. And when you're competing in your own environment, you have control over that, right? So don't make changes by choice, right? Don't, don't choose to change your brand of chalk the day of competition, because what, what he found was the brand of chalk that he, was previously using lasted longer for him and adhered to his bells better, adhered to his hands better. The new brand of chalk did not adhere as well. So by minute six, 90% of the chalk was gone. By minute seven, all of the chalk was gone. So, and then the last three minutes, he was just fighting. He was just fighting through it, right? He, he, had, a, he had a challenging time, and w- which is part of the reason for the shoulder racking of the bells, you know? So don't make changes the day of competition. You want to try making a change, try it in practice, you know, a couple of days before or try, you know, and do it more than once, right? Give it more than one shot, but don't make changes the day of competition. I think that is a very important lesson. That is definitely something I would very strongly advise for everybody. Try and keep your routine as consistent as possible, right? Don't make any significant changes the day of competition. So those are the highlights and call outs um, from from others on the team and from their sets their test outs Um, and uh, for my own personal performance I was not happy Um, I made it to seven and a half minutes into the long cycle um, before I set the bells down I got 47 reps officially set the bells down um, picked them back up about, I took about 40 seconds of rest, um, picked them back up and banged out another like 16 reps or so. Um, which I'm trying to decide whether or not that means that I physically quit or mentally quit, because I will say like the data does back up that I was, I was redlined and not just for a little while. Um, I was redlined for almost the entire set. Um, I started, uh, I started the set basically in zone two, um, and then quickly went to zone three and then zone four, zone five. And once you're in zone four and zone five, um, you're anaerobic. And that means that you're producing lactate and your heart rate is obviously very high. You're over threshold, you're over lactate threshold, you're over anaerobic threshold. Um, there's only so long you can stay there, um, before you throw up or pass out or, both. Um, (laughs) 
and I can say that I was, I was over what my max heart rate, you know, in quotes is supposed to be within three minutes, um, which is not good. Um, that is trying to hold pace, trying, trying to just stay moving at that intensity for more than, you know, seven minutes is not something most people can do, not something most athletes can do. And I am not an exceptional athlete in that regard. Um, so, um, I, I felt like my heart was going to beat through my chest. Um, I was, you know, my respiration rate was super high. My heart rate was super high, uh, really just was struggling to, to, and I couldn't get my heart rate down. I couldn't, I couldn't get it down. I couldn't keep it down. Um, so, um, I, I struggled, struggled through it, um, put the bells down, picked them back up and finished, um, because I wasn't, I was, I wasn't, uh, in person. I wasn't going to, I wasn't going to disturb another lifter by picking, picking the bells back up and finishing my time. Um, I just, I wanted to get more at this, at that point, once I, once I didn't finish the 10 minutes of long cycle, this, this went from being a competition, um, that I was going to try and perform my best in to being a competition, that had become uh, a, another training session, which is honestly what my mindset should have been going into it, um, which I'll dig into in just a little bit. But um, I came in, I came in wanting to do. I registered for a ten-minute triathlon um, with the twenties, but due to some issues in training and and just life, my training calendar, my training consistency wasn't wasn't where I needed it to be. But I was also dealing with I, I dealt with a forearm injury. Um, you know, a muscle strain in my forearm, which knocked me out of training, um, for, you know, oh, 10 days or so, uh, you know, so I didn't have the training base really to, to support, um, the level of output that I was trying to, that I was trying to achieve. And I think intuitively that I knew that, um, I actually articulated it to the group of people that was watching on my zoom, um, while I lifted, um, which that might not have been the best thing to do because once I, the thought was in my head, but once I externalized it, uh, it kind of validated it. So I think a lesson for me is to not, is to not externalize, uh, negative self-talk. Don't externalize those, those things because then they become real and they become, um, you know, you could keep it internal and tell yourself, no, that's not true. But I think I knew it was true, um, which is why I externalized it. So I'm still not quite certain, um, not quite certain what, why I put the bells down. I'm not sure if it was physical limitation or if it was mental limitation. I'm still trying to, I'm still vacillating on that. I'm still trying to dissect that. I don't know. And maybe I'll never know. Um, it, in the moment, it very much felt like physical limitation that I just couldn't keep going or my heart was going to explode. Probably wouldn't have happened, um, but, you know, I might have passed out. Um, which is dangerous in its own right when you're in your garage by yourself. Um, so, but I've never pushed myself to the point of passing out. Um, so, and maybe that's not advisable. Um, but so there's part of me that feels like I, I, I didn't push to my limit, but you know, the data would say that I did push to my limit. I pushed to max heart rate and I stayed there, uh, for a long time. Um, so I'm not sure. Um, so then from that point, um, I did a, I decided it was going to be a, a training session and not a competition. Um, so, and after having put the bells down, but then finished the long cycle set, um, I, I took, I took some time, took a, took a few hours off, um, to, to refocus and recharge. Um, but when I, when I went to, to do jerk, I was still sore in, in several areas. 
um, that are necessary for jerk um, lats and triceps and legs, my quads in particular. Um, so I, I knew that a 10 minute set um, would not that it wasn't in the cards, but it, to push to a 10 minute set would would put me at a pretty significant risk of injury based on uh, particularly how my pecs were feeling um, that I would, I would have been likely to, to strain a pec or uh, strain a calf, um, strain a quad. There's, there's a few things that were pretty tight. So I just, I made the decision since I had already failed on my long cycle set to um, be smart and live to live to train another day because the, you know, uh, the, the twin cities kettlebell open is eight weeks away. Um, you know, at that point it was 10 weeks away. Um, so I, I didn't, uh, I did not want to risk a significant injury by pushing, um, when I didn't feel that I, that I had it in my capability to, to push without a significant risk of injury. So I, I, I stepped it back, um, to a five minute jerk set and just turned it into a workout basically where for five minutes, I mean, a 10 RPM pace, I just metronomed it and 10 RPMs is not, um, super fast for me on jerk. That's a solid pace, but it's not, it's not anything crazy. Um, that honestly would have been my target pace for a 10 minute set would have been, um, 10 to 12 RPMs. So, um, so I, uh, yeah, I just, I let it, uh, I, I let it just be a workout and went nice and steady. Um, and then took like 15 minutes and banged out a, and banged out a snatch set, a five minute snatch set as well. So, um, I ended up basically doing a five minute triathlon with a little extra time on the long cycle. Um, and it was fine. Um, and I still, you know, had an output of over, over 13,000 kilos on the day. So, um, it was a good training session. Um, but you know, I think the, for me, the, there was two, two major lessons. Um, the, the first was that you have to be consistent in your training to expect to be able to have solid output on the platform. Your, your results on the platform are just a revelation of what your training has looked like, right? It's, it's math, it's mathematically predictable based on your training output, what your, what your output is going to be on the platform. So I think that's, I think that's why I was so nervous is I knew, I knew I didn't have the, the, the base of training to justify what I was trying to do. And that got into my head. So I didn't feel confident that I was going to be successful. Um, I got, which made me more nervous, which then hindered performance, et cetera. Right. So, um, lesson number one for me is you have to be consistent in training. And if you're not consistent in your training, you need to modify your expectations. I should not have gone into this thinking, oh, this is going to be a competition where I'm going to try and give my best output. I should have looked at my training volume and looked at my training consistency and tr just treated this like a, uh, another training session and, and, and said, because I was signed up, I'd paid my money. I was registered. I wasn't going to not do it. Um, but I should have gone into it with the expectation of, I'm just going to, I'm just going to test my capabilities and I'm going to push myself to, you know, uh, do five minutes in all three lifts that, that I had the training base for. I could have done a five minute triathlon and I did do a five minute triathlon, but I could have pushed, I could have pushed harder in the first five minutes of all three lifts. I could have done a much more intense, uh, focus and pace for five minutes rather than trying to manage my pace to finish 10 minutes. Um, I could have pushed, I could have pushed harder. And had I gone in with the five minute triathlon mindset, um, 
I would have, I would have pushed harder in those first five minutes, but so I, I think that's the, that's the primary lesson is, is consistency in training is what earns you the right to expect results on the platform. If you don't have the consistency in training, you're not going to be able to show up on the competition day and just will yourself through it to a good performance. Um, it just kettlebell sport doesn't work like that. It just doesn't. I've never seen anybody be able to will themselves to a great performance. Um, just it's, it's purely based on capability and what you've earned in, in your, in your training. So um, that's lesson number one. I think uh, lesson number two for me, and it's correlated to lesson number one is I need to focus more on addressing my weaknesses. I think my strengths have gotten me as far as they're going to get me. Um, and my technique is pretty good in all three lifts at this point. It can always be better, but I generally consider myself to be a technician and not a great athlete in this sport. Um, I have worked really, really hard on my technique and I'm very, uh, I'm very anal about analyzing technique, breaking down technique, um, I think I understand all of the fundamentals of all three lifts. And I think I'm actually pretty skilled at all three lifts, um, in a, from a technical standpoint. Um, it doesn't mean my output is the best, um, because there are many, many, many more talented lifters than me, um, both men and women and people who have better output than me because they're better conditioned athletes who also have excellent technique. Um, you know, better athletes for this type of sport. This is not my optimal sport. <laughs> um, I am an Olympic lifter and a power lifter by nature. That's what my output, um, that's what my muscle fibers are really programmed for. But with that said, um, if I spent more time focusing on my cardiovascular conditioning um, and, and working on developing that capacity and that capability, I could be a better lifter. I, I can be better at this sport by changing my approach and focusing more on addressing my weaknesses. So to that end, um, I am working on my cardio um, and I actually um, swallowed my pride and, um, and reached out to Stephen Riddle, um, who also I should shout out, um, had a just ridiculous performance on long cycle with the twenties. I think he hit a hundred and 113 reps or something on the long cycle with the twenties, um, in 10 minutes and then did a five minute set with the 24s as well. And, and hit, I think 40, um, with the 24s. So his cardio is phenomenal. His technique is also excellent and he's a great lifter. Um, so, uh, uh, seeing his performance and feeling how much my cardio limited me, particularly in long cycle, um, I reached out to Steven and asked him to help me with my cardio. Um, not that I don't know enough to program my own cardio. I do. I know plenty. I know how to program cardio. I know how to program strength and conditioning. Um, I know how I can do conditioning protocols. Um, but I wasn't doing it. And I wasn't actually following through on doing my protocols you know, or, or anything. I wasn't even designing cardio protocols for myself. I was literally just doing my three days a week of, uh, of kettlebell sport training. And I didn't even get three days a week in consistently, as I mentioned before. So for my previous lesson. So, um, I need to spend more time working on my weaknesses. I need to address 
my cardio. The cardio has been my biggest limiting factor um, my entire lifting career for kettlebell sport. It's not that I'm not strong. I am strong, but I do not have great cardio. Cardio is my biggest limit, so I need to I need to work on that. And so I'm outsourcing that to somebody who knows as much or more than me um, about cardio training and strength and conditioning. And obviously, Stephen actually does his cardio because you can't maintain that type of pace with that high of weight without having some really fucking serious cardio. Um, so I reached out to Steven and he's, uh, and he's doing my, he's doing my cardio programming for me and holding me accountable to do it, which I still need to do today. Um, I need to actually go do my protocol, uh, that he, that he put together for me. So I think that's my other, my other big lesson is, um, you have to sometimes, especially early on, um, focusing on your strengths and developing your strengths and developing your technique is every bit, if not more important than addressing your weaknesses, right? But at a certain point, you have got, when you have gotten the most out of your current athletic capability, you need to assess what your strengths and weaknesses are and address your weaknesses. You need to, you need to figure out what your limit, your limiting factors are to your performance and start doing focused effort on those areas, right? And unfortunately, um, for most of us, if you're like me, you avoid working on those areas because they're your weaknesses. And because they're your weaknesses, they suck to work on, right? So maybe it's a chicken or the egg thing. Maybe it's circular. I don't know. Like I don't work on my cardio because I hate cardio and I hate cardio because I suck at cardio. (laughs) Well, you suck at cardio because you don't do it, right? So if you do it, you get better at it. If you don't, it stays the same. So I need to suck it up and focus on working on my cardio. So that's going to be a big focus um, for me for um, for quite a while, probably, um, because I've got a long ways to go. So I'm going to be working on my cardio. Um, and the other thing, and I'm, you know, I mentioned it before, is uh, that I'm going to be putting a protocol together is the mobility. Like my, I've made a lot of progress in my mobility. My mobility has gotten a lot better, um, but I still have limitations. I have a right elbow that, that doesn't fully lock um, because I, you know, had several football injuries, but I know I can improve that. And I don't know that it's permanent. I just know that it's hard for me to, to lock my elbow right now, but I, I I haven't had anybody tell me that, that there's any like structural limitations that prevent me from being able to lock my elbow. And I know that if I work on the soft tissue around my elbow, that I can probably at the very least improve my elbow, um, extension. Right. So, and that will be a huge help in overhead position in long cycle snatch. Well, in in any overhead position, being able to lock my elbow, um, will be hugely helpful. I still need to, I still need to work on hip mobility. I need to work on my hamstring, my hamstring flexibility, right? Um, several areas. So I am going to get to work on addressing my weaknesses. Um, and at some point I might actually, you know, when I get to an off season phase, um, I might actually need to switch the focus, um, where instead of working on my cardio and flexibility on my off days from kettlebell and doing three days a week of kettlebell and and two days a week of conditioning slash mobility work. Um, I might actually need to flip that and focus fully on cardio conditioning and mobility work as my primary and 
whatever I can get in for kettlebell sport is, is might be secondary to that because um, there's only so many hours a week I can dedicate to training and still, you know, do my job, take care of my kids, um, be a husband to my wife, and also uh, be a coach to my athletes. So I might need to just reprioritize to focus on my addressing my weaknesses. So those are kind of my, my all of my major takeaways um, from this. I, I would go deeper into the water cut, but because I, I recorded an episode with uh, with Bobby and with Bobby and Audrey about the water cut protocol and some of the lessons from that, um, and that what that protocol is and that experience, uh, I'm going to leave that for that episode. So a little teaser there for you. Um, but uh, that episode will be coming out next week um, with, with Audrey and Bobby. And we'll, we'll dive into the water cut because there were definitely some lessons from that as well um, that can be taken and applied elsewhere in nutrition and things. But, um, you know, the, 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 biggest, the biggest takeaway is that your results on the platform are, are just a revelation of the dedication you put in in training, the consistency you put in in training. Um, and uh, that was my biggest lesson. And I, I really need to address, I really need to address that. And I need to focus on my weaknesses. Um, I'm at the point now I've progressed, I've progressed myself enough as a lifter that I can say that my, I need, I'm not going to get much better until I focus on my, on my weaknesses. (coughs) So thank you for listening. Um, I hope this was useful for you. Um, if not, it was cathartic for me and it was good for me to process. So, um, even if it wasn't useful for you, it was for me. So, um, yeah. Thank you very much for listening, and I hope you guys have a great training cycle leading up to your next competition. I hope that next competition is eight weeks from now at the Twin Cities Kettlebell Open here in Little Canada, Minnesota, and online via video submission. Until next time, we'll see you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Platform Podcast. I'm Jordan Gundy wright We'll be back with a new episode for you next week. Please don't forget to register for the Twin Cities Kettlebell Open on our website, TwinCitiesKettlebellClub.com. And if you have a question or a suggestion, please email me at TwinCitiesKettlebellClub at gmail.com. And don't forget to follow us on social media at Twin Cities Kettlebell Club. And if you want to step onto the platform and compete in kettlebell sport, please reach out to me. Until next time. <laughs>